Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Gildroy. Well, I'm one of the hosts, but I'm your host today. But now there's new hosts for the show, which is very exciting to me. Uh, as much as I love listening to the sound of my own voice all the time, sometimes I like listening to other people talk. And today we are going to be talking to Paige about composting. We're going to be talking about what to do with stuff that rots and why it's so important. And I don't know lots of stuff around shit and things like that. I'm really excited about this kind of selfishly because I have a lot of questions that are for my own uh, personal <laughs> use as someone who composts and you know has lived off grid a lot and stuff like that. So I think I hope that you'll get a lot out of it. And this podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. And here's a jingle from another show on the network. The Anarchist Radio Berlin. From across the pond. So it's the Anarchist Radio Berlin. With audios in English, Spanish and German. And please, don't mention the war. You can find us at channelzeronetwork.com and aradio-berlin.org. Okay, um, if you could introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and then I guess kind of why people should listen to you about compost. Thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Paige. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I guess I started composting at a pretty young age. Um, we had a pile at my parents' house growing up. Um, and then more recently, um, I actually worked for Tucson's uh, city composting program when it was run through their university. So was on like an industrial scale operation for a couple of months. Um, I currently work at the food bank in their farm and garden program, and I've helped them redesign their um, worm composting system as well as their just general composting system as well as um, installed composting toilets on site. I've also worked with Friends of a Land Project and helped them set up a composting system for um, human manure as well as just like food waste. Cool. For anyone who's listening, if you can hear a squeaking in the background is because I gave my dog a toy that I thought didn't have a squeaker in it and I was proven mistaken. So I apologize for that. But okay, so composting. What is composting? That's where things where you just like throw an apple into the woods and hope for the best? So um, composting isn't just kind of throwing stuff and hoping for the best. It's usually just taking like organic material and there's different types of composting. There's different systems, but it's kind of creating a controlled environment to process what would be waste products into something that you can use more as a soil amendment, maybe for your garden, maybe for fruit trees. Um, but it's just yeah, processing waste into something really valuable and useful. I get really excited about it. I have this kind of like scavenger mindset left over from when I was more of like a squatter and traveler. But I feel like food waste is like the main way I can still really feel that, uh, like scratch that itch. You know, I mean, I guess I do it sometimes with other stuff where I try and scavenge, but like I get really excited by the idea that you can like not have food waste be waste. And so I don't know, I'm very excited about this. Okay, so what are some of the basics of, you know, okay, so 
I mean, I guess the why someone would compost is probably sort of implied, like not letting things go to waste and then also like not needing to, you know, go and purchase fertilizer and things like that for your garden. But what are some of the basic hows, like I guess starting at a smaller scale, you know, if someone wants to set up compost at their apartment or at their house or wherever they are? Yeah. So I think it's really going to depend on like what you have available mm-hmm. to you. So like a backyard system, you could do an outdoor like hot or thermophilic pile, which um, I've seen systems built out of pallets where you just kind of set up like a three or four sided bin. Um, and then you just throw your food scraps in there along with some sort of cover material, which will generally be like a dry carbon based thing, maybe leaves, maybe sawdust. At my house, I use manure. I like go pick it up every couple months. If you're in an apartment um, and don't manure have- is the cover. Uh, yeah, I use like uh, well, so the manure wow. that I find it's like it's manure mixed with straw, so it's like pretty dry. Oh, okay. And bulky, and mm-hmm. I think a thing that I see people doing wrong is just not having enough material to to do like a hot compost pile. So they're just kind of throwing stuff in a pile. And I live in the desert, so it just kind of dries out. I think it's probably different in more humid, uh, wet places. But um, yeah, to get like kind of your traditional hot compost pile, I feel like would be kind of more on the scale of like a pallet bin at the smallest, like three feet by three feet um, ish. Okay. But there's also, you know, there's other options for like apartments and indoor use, um, such as like a worm bin, or there's there's also a, a style of composting called bokashi that's actually more of like a fermentation that people do in buckets that you can also use to process your waste. I'm not as familiar with that, but you know, not everybody has outdoor space to to have a big pile that might be kind of yeah. smelly sometimes. Yeah. So you keep talking about hot composting. Is that like in contrast to cold composting? Is there cold composting that we could be doing or no? There is. Yeah. I mean, if you if you're just adding material really slowly over time or you don't have a lot of material, you'll probably have like kind of a colder compost and stuff won't break down as quickly. Mm-hmm. Generally, like a big hot compost pile is also going to result in like an end product. Like your compost will be more like uh, bacterially dominant versus like a long cold compost where you're like not trying to get the temperature up is going to be more conducive to like a fungally based com- uh, compost. So there are like, there are kind of different end end goals based on maybe what the use is going to be. A veggie garden is going to prefer like a bacterial a heavy, a bacteria heavy compost and like trees are going to prefer like a fungally based. But if you kind of mix and match, like huh. it, it kind of doesn't matter. There's like, yeah, I feel like you can go really deep into all the science behind it, or you can just kind of like not and still make good compost and like <laughs> deal with your food waste accordingly. But there are like different methods you can do depending on on what your end goal is if you okay. want to go deep into it. Yeah, I guess that's something that's always sort of intimidated me about it is that, you know, before I started composting, I had always been sort of, I had read all this stuff about it and it was very like, this is the perfect ratio of nitrogen versus carbon material to add, or I guess greens versus browns, I think is the way it's like you, it's like often phrased or something. And if you get it wrong, like all hell will break loose and demons will come forth from the seventh seal and, and all of that. And, and so it like kind of like, I think it scares a lot of people off, but you're sort of implying. And, and my understanding is that 
you can kind of just do it and then like fuck with it to fix it as you go. Is that is that fairly accurate? Or? Yeah, I'd definitely say that's accurate. Yeah, I, I think like, yeah, definitely people kind of stick to like the greens and browns, but I don't know. I think it's kind of tricky sometimes if you have material that's like drying out or really not drying out depending on your climate. So like here out in Tucson where mm-hmm. I live, it's like you have to water your compost. Otherwise, it just it's just a pile of like dried old vegetables or whatever you're throwing into it so (laughs) yeah um and yeah so i mean it's like the greens and browns which are your carbon to nitrogen but then it's also you're looking at like moisture and porosity so if you think of like a pile of sticks like that's like too porous there's too much airflow Mm -hmm. that's not going to break down but if you have like a mucky swamp that's also not going to have airflow it's going to it's going to be really anaerobic and just okay. smelly. So, yeah, I mean, I think like you kind of just have to see what works for your climate. And I think trial and error is the best way to go and err on the side of maybe a little more of like the browns, the carbon stuff and add water if need be. And if it's not breaking down, then you'd want to add more of like the green nitrogen rich stuff. But I don't know. Yeah, I feel like in different okay. moments I've tried to like come up with the perfect recipe and it's just not it's just not necessary for like a backyard system. Yeah. So it's more cooking than baking. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like okay. growing in the spices. It gets presented as baking. Yeah, so. no. It's I mean yeah. if okay. you're doing it on like an industrial scale where there's like regulations and all of these different things that could really go wrong and you're dealing with like tons and tons of material, I think it's a bit more of an issue, but um, for like your average backyard person, I think like just try to start and see what happens and adjust from there. Yeah. What about those like roller? I feel like when you look for like compost, backyard composting, like products, mm-hmm. you have these, um, and I actually have one in my side yard, but it has yet to produce useful compost. But I think that's <laughs> not, not the fault of the product. But like, yeah, what do you, what do you make of these? You know, it's like, I have this thing that looks a little bit like a five gallon, uh, sorry, a 50 gallon drum, but on a spindle where it can spin. And there's like a, mine has like two compartments and I don't know, I've got it at tractor supply. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I've never had luck with those, but I think it's just being in the desert. I think here in the desert, they just dry out. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've never tried those. I kind of tend to think that a lot of, I mean, there's, there's so many like compost products out there that are like try to make Mm -hmm. it easier and I to me they all feel a little gimmicky it's like okay you need like you need to put stuff somewhere it needs water air carbon nitrogen and that's it and so having all of these like additional like tools I yeah I haven't had luck with them um I think the idea is that it gives you more airflow and allows you like turn and mix the material which probably helps it break down faster Mm -hmm. But it's also, they're so small, like 50 gallons. I just, I usually try to start a pile yeah. that's bigger than that if I'm trying to get it hot. Okay. And then, yeah, I mean, I try to like, I just put stuff in a pile, have enough material, and then I kind of like turn it sometimes. But I try to kind of more just like let it sit and let like all the microbes and like fungus like do their job because it's just less work for me to, to deal with. But I think they probably work for some people. I don't know. <laughs> So we shouldn't do the Live Like the World is Dying branded 
backyard compost tumblers. Oh, we should find a different gimmick product to sell. Probably, but you know, also if you're trying to do a brand deal, I think I'm open to discussing it. <laughs> I know. As I say, like, what if you get a cut? Does it suddenly is it a better product yeah, at that well, point? At that point um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I the times I've seen them, I think that the the primary appeal is almost like the. Well, it's like the like my dog's not going to get into it because it's in this thing, you know, it's like, it's like pre-contained. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but yeah, I also have had it for nine months and it is still just sort of full of old leaves rather than full of like good, useful dirt. So I can't really like speak to its efficacy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to build a system now that is like, three bins that are four foot by four foot each each bin with the idea that one bin per year and then by the time I fill up the third bin the first bin has been sitting for two years is my like maybe overkill I have all these like plans to make it rat proof and stuff too Mm. I guess okay so so I want to talk about some of the like downsides of composting or these sorts of compost like the things that I've heard about and slash worry about one is um you know, my dog has gotten into compost before and gotten really sick, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so um, keeping specifically Rintral, my dog, out of compost is the first most important thing. And then also rats and then smell and then, okay, what's the other one? Uh, murdering yourself by putting it on plants and having the plants that you grow murder you instead of feed you. Those are the four things that I've heard as potential downsides. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I think all of those can be concerns. I definitely have like my friends' dogs come over and they hop in the compost. We kind of joke that like our house is the fun house mm-hmm. for all the dogs because they get to come and like play and like rotting stuff. <laughs> but you know, sometimes that's maybe not ideal for them. I just because of yeah, <laughs> like I put chicken bones and stuff in there, which you definitely don't want dogs getting into. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think for to kind of control for for small animals and pets. Um, I think doing pallet bins and unlining that with hardware cloth, kind of like what you were saying, or honestly, even lining it with cardboard would probably be effective at keeping them out. Uh, Not the rats, but at least like dogs, if there's like Mm -hmm. wood and then a couple other layers of stuff. As far as the smell, that's often an indicator of uh, too much nitrogen and too much humidity and liquid. So to kind of mitigate Mm -hmm. that, you'd want to add more like dry carbon-based stuff. And yeah, it's interesting because it sounds like your pile on the ground might be kind of smelly, but then your like tumbler pile might just be dry leaves. So maybe if you just like threw the dry leaves in with the pile, that might kind of address (laughs) that, working with what we got. Oh, the tumbler pile. The tumbler pile is gross as hell. That's why it's full of dry leaves now. Oh, okay. (laughs) As it used to be. There is no ground pile yet. The ground pile is a dream. It's a, a two by four frame that is currently sitting in the the space that used to be a garden from the last person who lived oh, here. Oh, okay. But I haven't I haven't done the lining it with hardware cloth and all that stuff yet. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, but I um, you know, composting in the desert, we're trying to keep out pets and javelinas and also squirrels and yeah, I feel like uh mm-hmm. doing it out of pallets and then hardware cloth has I've seen be pretty effective in keeping that stuff out. Um, and then yeah, smell is usually it's too wet. Um, As far as like creating like a dangerous end product, I think for that, you can really just think about the time that how long it takes as well as like the heat of the pile. So if you're able to get Mm -hmm. enough material and get it to heat up, 
it's going to kill almost anything that is harmful to humans. The kind of industry standard is getting piles up to 130 degrees for about 15 days. And that's considered like sufficient to like kill pretty much anything, like even like human waste. So, you know, and I, I think letting it sit for longer periods of time is the way to kind of guarantee that that it's going to be all right for for food production. That was kind of my thinking behind the the setup that I'm going to do of the two years instead of like one year is just out of like, well, what if I'm really lazy and do it badly? Then I'll just have it have set for two years instead of one year. Yeah, totally. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what shouldn't people compost? I have a feeling that the answer to this is it depends. It depends on like the scale of the compost and things like that. But so maybe like, I feel like kind of at this beginning, we're sort of talking about like backyard level compost, like vegetable garden level compost. And then I'd I'd love to, from there, move into um, humanure and uh, also like doing it at scale. But in terms of like a a backyard compost, what are things that are like good or bad for compost? Yeah, generally, most like vegetable and like fruit scraps um, are super great. Some people have trouble with like citrus peels, like they'll just kind of dry out. People tend to recommend against dairy meat and bones, as well as really fatty things. If you have something that's really oily, as well as like often cooked food. But a lot of that is mostly because of the salt content Mm -hmm. in the cooked food. Like Hmm. adding a bunch of salt to your compost isn't ideal because you don't want to be putting like salty, just salty compost on your vegetable garden. That's going to kind of suck the water away from from the roots of the plants. But honestly, if you're doing like even like a four by four backyard, like I, I put meat, I put cooked food, I put pretty much anything in there and just kind of, as long as it's getting hot enough and it's big enough, it's it's probably going to be okay. But if you're doing yeah smaller scale, you might want to be a little more choosy. And then um, if you're doing like an indoor worm bin, if you don't have an outdoor space, then you have to be a lot more choosy because you're not you're not just putting stuff together and hoping it works out. You're kind of like feeding worms and they're, they're a little pickier than some of the microbes that'll be in your big outdoor pile. Yeah. That makes sense to me. How long does it take to like, if you're throwing like chicken bones and stuff in that, like how long is that taking to break down? Um, I feel like it takes like three to six months generally, but that's if it's, if you keep the pile hot and big and there's like a lot of like, if it's moist enough, then like stuff will break down pretty quickly. Okay. The Bokashi method I was mentioning earlier too, um, that can be used to kind of like ferment and like break stuff down. Um, and that's like a couple of weeks, but I haven't, I haven't actually tried that method, but I've heard that it can be really good for like animal bones. Yeah. I watched one video. I probably, a lot of people listen to this also do the thing where they're suddenly interested in something and watch all the YouTube videos and listen to all the podcasts about it. That might be why you're listening to this very podcast right now. Maybe you don't listen to this show. Maybe you just Googled or searched compost. One of the things that I watched was just like, and then you kill the rats and then you throw the rats in the compost pile. It was just sort of the the compost pile is like the all devourer. And it was like, Mm -hmm. clearly he was doing it in this very like, see, look, the compost pile is not so fragile as people claim. I don't know. That kind of impressed me. The idea that you can just throw the rats into the the dead ones into the compost pile I, I don't know yeah totally no it's it's kind of wild like what a pile will just like totally consume yeah I think also like speaking about rats like rats aren't gonna go into a pile if it's 140 degrees like that's too warm for them they're like not gonna fuck with it oh huh but, okay 
Yeah, just like it's just not. Yeah, if you if you're keeping it hot, it's like not a very like comfortable environment for a lot of like the the rodents and things like that. They'll kind of keep away from from at least the hot parts of it. Yeah, it's also cool like the the heating aspect of it. I've seen systems where um, you know it's like you're using the heat to kind of uh, generate all these microbes and break down all the material. But I've also seen systems where people are using it to heat water. Um, if you like coil yeah. like um, pipes through it, you can. You can kind of get a couple different uses out of that heat, which is pretty cool. And compost piles generate this heat on their own from like, it's like a byproduct of the process of breaking down. Yeah, basically it create like it'll just kind of breed all these microbes. And as these micro populations multiply, they, Mm -hmm. yeah, and they consume food. They just create an like an immense amount of heat. Um, I've seen piles that got up to like 160 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. When I was working at the city's composting site, there was one winter where it snowed in Tucson, which was kind of scary, but mm-hmm. there were two inches of snow on the <laughs> ground everywhere, except for on top of a lot of industrial scale areas. We'll use what's called windrows, which is like a pile that's maybe five to six feet tall. And then it's just elongated across whatever area they have. And so everywhere there was snow, except for on top of these windrows that were just steaming and just melting everything that, that fell on them, which was really cool. Yeah. Okay. So can you heat a house by setting up a compost bin in your basement? Oh, I wonder. I mean, I think you could, if you put a compost pile in your basement and then ran pipes Mm -hmm. through the pile and then Mm -hmm. through your floor, I feel like you get some good like floor warming action. Yeah. Or like some people will pile, they'll put their pile against their greenhouse to kind of like passively have a little like heat source near their greenhouse but if if you're trying to oh that's interesting yeah if you're trying to maintain like a pretty consistent amount of heat though you kind of need to constantly be adding a good amount of material and turning it um because it'll it'll kind of like it'll get really hot initially when there's all this like new new material microbes air water um and then it'll Mm -hmm. cool off and then if you add more or turn it and add more air it'll heat up again and it kind of will go through these cycles um, but eventually what you want is an end product that's not going to reheat. And that's kind of a sign that the the compost is like aged well and is a stable thing that you can put into your garden. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've, I've put in compost to my garden, like mixed it in when it wasn't fully done. And then like my garden bed, like reheated and like was up at like 120 degrees, which is like not, <laughs> yeah, not ideal and not good for growing plants. But if you have yeah. like, unfinished compost you can like put a couple inches on top of your plants and that's often going to be all right but if you're like really doing like a first amendment of your of a new garden plot Mm -hmm. um you you want to make sure that you're working with something that's not going to reheat okay but so you know you kind of know compost is done when it looks like dirt and it isn't hot anymore do you like do you build up a pile and then just move on to the next pile or are you kind of always adding to the original pile like what what is to be done how do you how do yeah um so there's a lot of different systems you can do so there's if you start a pile and then move on to the next one that's kind of what's considered a batch system so you're building something Mm -hmm. up and adding to it and then you're letting it sit for an amount of time to make sure that stuff's broken down there's other systems that are more designed as like a flow through system so you're maybe adding to the top of the pile but you're able to pull stuff off the bottom a lot of worm hmm. composting systems are flow through because you kind of have to, when you're 
putting new material and then harvesting old material, you're also trying to not like remove all of the worms from the system. So you're trying to kind of add, mm -hmm. often add material to the top and harvest from the bottom. So there's, there's different like commercial or DIY systems that, that can be made to accommodate that. So you can do either. And I think it really depends on like what your timeline is and what your end goal is. Um, like, are you just trying to get rid of the waste that you have and not have it be in your trash? Are you trying to make a soil amendment that's as good as possible, as fast as possible? And so there's kind mm -hmm. of different systems that that make the most sense based on just like what you have on site, what kind of energy you want to put in and what your goal is. Yeah, but either either are options. Okay. So this kind of brings me, well, I don't know if it logically brings me to, but the thing that it makes me think of is that, okay, so if you're in an apartment, right? And like, I guess you could kind of tiny scale compost and on your porch or something, but it, it seems like it, it makes more sense to have sometimes composting be a sort of shared thing between houses or within a community, right? Like, you know, I know a lot of cities and it sounds like this is something that you have been involved with at a municipal level have like composting where people are able to set aside their food and the city goes and composts it because it's not trash, right? It mm -hmm. should never have been trashed. So the idea that we lived in a society that saw organic matter as trash is very bizarre. But it seems like you could also set that up kind of like smaller scale, right? Like, you know, within any given community, if you don't live somewhere with municipal composting or, or is it better to just let it be at municipal level? Like what are the advantages of doing compost at scale, whether it's a community wide scale or a municipal wide scale? Yeah. So I think doing it at a community or at a municipal scale and having it be really official, I think it makes it easier to divert stuff from the landfill. So when food waste mm -hmm. goes into the landfill, it creates methane, which is, you know, more potent than, than CO2. And so it's actually interesting here in, here in Southern Arizona, a lot of food comes through the port that's like two, an hour south of Tucson through Nogales. And they have the landfill there is like one of the most methane rich ones in the country because they don't have a composting program down there or like a way to divert food waste besides through like their food bank. And so when trucks come across the border and food doesn't pass inspection, it just goes and these semi-trucks are just dumping food waste into the landfill and then it's creating like methane oh, gas. God. And so, uh -huh. you know, that's like a huge problem. It probably like deserves like a pretty big solution as far as like what a system to address that would mm -hmm. be. But I think when I was working at the at Tucson's program, we had a lot of problems of people putting just garbage and trash into like the food waste bins at different restaurants. And so mm -hmm. it creates this really big problem of contamination. Like when you're doing it at a large scale, like we, I remember seeing like Freon um, tanks and just like constant plastic bags. Oh my God. Yeah. And so we would, uh -huh. it would be like a huge part of what we did is we would just like, kind of like tromp around in these massive piles of rotting food, like pulling out plastic and even like the quote unquote, <laughs> like compostable bags don't actually break down in some systems and they would, they would clog up some of our machinery. And so, yeah, I think, I think large scale, you just have issues of contamination and you also need a bunch of heavy machinery. Like we were operating like a water truck and front loaders. We had like this mm -hmm. machine that was specifically like a compost turner. It was it was just like a lot of, it was pretty cool. energy intensive um, process. Yeah. It was fun. It was cool. I like, you know, got to drive a tractor around. That was fun. But 
Yeah, I think I think having it more be at like the community scale where it's like either backyard based or neighborhood based or like community garden based, I think is is a better way to do it and just kind of cutting out like the transportation time and just having it at that scale. Mm -hmm. But but again, that's not going to it's not going to address, you know, the semi trucks full of rotting food. But right. Yeah. So. So there's, yeah, there's benefits and drawbacks, but I think, I think, you know, with almost anything, usually like a lot of small decentralized solutions are usually better than the large centralized ones. I've, I've based most of my political beliefs on this concept. <laughs> yeah, hot, um, hot take. <laughs> but yeah, but I also believe that sometimes certain things need to be structured at larger levels in order to be effective, you know, or, or like if, I don't know, accomplish what they need, like what you're talking about with like the, you know, the trucks or whatever. Um, well, okay. So then if you do it at the community level, it seems like another advantage, right? Is you probably get less contamination literally because people could be like, Joe, you can't keep throwing your Freon tanks in with your compost, you know, like Joe keeps doing that and, and probably gets shamed enough about it. Right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I literally can't even imagine what a Freon tank is. I mean, I'm aware that there's a liquid called Freon. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looked like a propane tank, but it was like blue and like, it, uh, but it was, I was just like, in what world do we think this is going to break down? Yeah, it was, I yeah. don't know. it was just, a, it was a bit of a mess, but okay. yeah. So, I mean, you know, when you're doing large scale, yeah, it's like, you need to also figure out like how to like educate people versus yeah, like the just like community shaming of Joe for his Freon tank is, is maybe a little more effective than like a massive scale, like program yeah but yeah it also i mean i think when you're doing smaller scale it also people end up talking to each other and you know building community in the way that they do if they just are interacting yeah that makes sense okay so but then in terms of the stuff that one of the things i got kind of excited about when i started doing looking more into compost because i i've lived in situations that have required relied upon compost at various points in my life Mm -hmm. um a fair amount but i've never been personally like directing it the way that I am currently. And one of the things that kind of surprised me to learn about is that like cardboard and paper and stuff can be composted, but maybe not easily or it needs to be shredded or like, like it, it, there were a couple things that in my mind were marked trash Mm -hmm. or fake recycling because one of the biggest problems I think we have in this world is that recycling is a scam (laughs) Um, or at least the, the version of it, not the concept of recycling, right? But like, yeah. but, you know, the current industrial infrastructure of recycling seems to be uh, largely smoke and mirrors. Yeah. And so I'm excited by the idea of like the more DIY recycling type stuff we can do, the more repurposing we can do. So paper, cardboard, yes, no? Uh, yes. Paper, Maybe. cardboard, yes, under certain circumstances. So yeah, you're totally right about the shredding. So a lot of what that has to do with is like the surface area to like mass of the item. And so mm-hmm. if you think about like your compost pile is all these little particles and then the microbes that are breaking stuff down kind of live on like the slime level surrounding each little particle. And so all these little microbes are going to have a lot easier time breaking down a bunch of shredded tiny bits of paper than like a full sheet or like a full chunk of cardboard that you're just creating mm-hmm. more areas for them to or like an entire Ayn Rand book. Yeah. I mean, wow, that's a good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might need to rip that up first, which I think people would not be opposed to and okay. might have fun with. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I think that would be the ideal. Um, I think also uh, cardboard and paper um, worms really love it. So, you know, you could also set up multiple systems where you put some things somewhere and some in another. The system that mm -hmm. I have at the food bank uh, demo garden here in Tucson, we have like a hot compost area, but then we also have a big worm area. And what we feed mm -hmm. them is we feed them shredded paper and then unfinished compost. And so we... We put like a layer of paper and then we, on top of it, we put a bunch of hot compost essentially, but because we're only putting like an inch or two, it's not going to stay hot, but we, that's what we feed our worms and they, they love it. And so yeah, cardboard and paper, I would think more of as worm food than, than putting it in my, in my pile, oh, okay. although you can, but it, as mo the more you're able to break it down, the better. Are there like, uh, Speaking of products and gimmicks, um, I, I can imagine a paper shredder mm -hmm. and I can imagine a wood chipper, mm -hmm. but can you just put cardboard into a wood chipper or like, like, is there a way to, uh, you know, cause I, I, I think that a lot of people during the pandemic probably receive more and more things in cardboard boxes at their front porch and like, you know, having ways to dispose of that is like bonus besides, of course, just using it as like sheet mulch or I don't know if this is what you call it, but like the gardening purpose of laying out cardboard, you know, any, any tips on, on breaking down cardboard? Um, getting it wet and ripping it, but it's, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. think you could put it into a shredder. I think it would maybe like kind of gum it up. You also have to kind of take off like the plastic tape of that stuff. Cause that won't break down. Uh, some people mm -hmm. get really specific and focused on like oh this is with a like plastic based ink like we're gonna be putting microplastics in like the soil mm -hmm. and like there might be some truth to that and i'm just like we just live in like an industrial world where there's microplastics everywhere and yeah. you can like you cannot put <laughs> the like plastic based ink into your compost because of the microplastics or you can just be like shrug and and throw it in we're all gonna die one day and yeah we did this to ourselves I'm yeah like, i live in a city and i um, breathe the air here like i think some microplastics in my garden yeah. is i don't i'm already full of microplastics i think it's fine we're just like you know we're all yeah. connected i mean it's either fine or it's not right but it's like i don't think i'm gonna dramatically improve my quality of life by avoiding that additional little bit in my cherry tomatoes or whatever yeah totally. yeah i guess it's actually um, deeply deeply not fine and we don't have control over it is yeah maybe my actual belief but <laughs> yeah totally okay well speaking of um the ruins of industrial society can you can you put ash in compost does it depend on what the ash is of no ash in compost no don't do that um ah fuck yeah well i mean like what it, am i supposed to do with ash then i i don't know people ask me that sometimes and people were putting it into like a composting system and like using it in a humanure system and i was like i mean it's kind of just like it's almost like really fine sand. Like it's just not alive. It's it's maybe mm -hmm. gonna bulk it and not harm uh, it, but it's not. You're not adding anything that the pile needs. It's just kind of like okay fluff and like very dense. Fluff you're just that, putting it there to get rid of it. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and just like based on how dense ash is, especially when it's wet, you're probably limiting some of the airflow, which is not good. So, I yeah, I don't okay. have a good use for ash besides um I've mixed it into like concrete before, like when I needed to buy like sand and mix huh. it with like Portland cement. I've just like thrown ash in and that was fine. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how many okay. how many concrete projects you have in your life right now. That might not be a reasonable solution. 
I actually have more experience building than growing food. So I'm okay. like, <laughs> growing food is the un- unexplored terrain. Um, although I kind of hate working with concrete and I'm not very good at it. And it, I'm terrified of breathing it in. But, well, yeah. Okay. Cement, I guess, is what I'm terrified of breathing in. Concrete itself, I'm not particularly worried about <laughs> breathing yeah, in. The, um, it's a little bit. But... Chunks of gravel or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So no ash. Okay. But you mentioned these compostable plastics. Aren't they going to save us all? And isn't everything fine and plastic is great now because it's all compostable? Basically, okay. So like I've heard this before, right? That you need that like your plastic spoon that you get at the hippie diner doesn't actually break down in a home compost. It would only break down on a like municipal level compost. Is that true? Is it like, does it just take a lot longer or is it about a heat difference or is it all a scam? Um, it's, yeah, it's it's a heat and time thing, but it's really just a scam. Um, I mean, I just don't, in what world is a single no. use item good for the environment at all? Like, it's just greenwashing, bullshit, scam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. also, there's interesting things about like what's biodegradable versus compostable. Like biodegradable just means it's going to break down into hmm. way smaller pieces and compostable means it's like made out of a carbon or like nat- quote unquote natural thing that will eventually become dirt. But we, yeah, even at mm-hmm. like an industrial scale, like we would constantly just be pulling plastic out. And so, you know, it's kind of a thing that, you know, people do where it's like wish cycling, where you like, you're like, oh, I'm going to put this in the recycling bin because I like hope it's recyclable, but it's really not. And <laughs> I did that as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, ultimately, I'm not proud. Totally. It's like a weird, yeah, you're like, you're like hoping something will break down, but you're ultimately like making it so like some like worker machine is going to have to like deal with it later down the line. And, you know, it's like maybe you feel a little better about yourself, but um, it's, it's ultimately not, not making a difference. It's like calling the cops instead of handling a problem directly. Yeah. You're just putting it on someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, yeah. thing that you don't want to. It's kind of some weird, like NIMBY, NIMBY thing maybe would be a way to think about it. But yeah. 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 Okay, fine. Um, Sorry. <laughs> okay, so I can't put ash in. All the plastic stuff is a scam. Yeah, I mean, neither <laughs> of these things surprise me. The ash thing I'm sad about, it makes a lot of sense. The way you described it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, be- because burning cardboard when, when recycling is fake is, is something that people sometimes do. Yeah, totally. Okay, so... Let's talk about, you've been bringing up worms a couple mm-hmm. times. Um, my conception of worm composting is fairly simple. It's like instead of the food is digested by random bacteria from the air slash becomes sort of soil in the classic rot way, instead like worms eat it and then poop it out. Mm-hmm. And then the worm poop, which we call casings to not sound gross, mm-hmm. is the like some of like the best most nutrient dense compost in the world or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Worms are a little pickier eaters than the microbes. But yeah, they'll break stuff down really well. It's it's not all types of worms. There's like some specific worms that are better for composting. They have mm-hmm. different names. Often people call them red wigglers, but their like scientific name yeah. is Asenia fetida. And that those are yeah, they're good worms for composting. It's a prettier word. Yeah, it's a little prettier. Or fetid, you know working with rotten stuff, but they, yeah, they're not good for fishing. They like kind of create like a weird smell that fish don't like. So they're, they're very specific for, for compost. And they kind of only live in like the top three inches of soil, usually in like rotting leaves and stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can, you have to, you have to have a little more control over a worm pile because you're, yeah, you're not, it's not just kind of like a set it and leave it. You need to make sure that they have water, that they have fresh food, that they don't get too hot or too cold. Um, like there's a little more care mm-hmm. that goes that They don't get this. bored. Yeah, you got to Yeah, totally. You got to Like little worm toys and yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely add, adding a few toys. I haven't, I should, that's a good idea. I should see how that affects mm-hmm. our, our um, system at the food bank. Do some trials. Yeah. And see if they're more productive if we give them some, you know, we give them bread, but not circuses. So we'll see if they're a little more productive if we meet their needs. <laughs> <laughs> flea circuses for the worms. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. But yeah, what, what else can I say about worms? Oh, uh, it, it's interesting because a lot of worms, like for compost, as well as worms that like live in our soil, are mostly invasive in North America. So kind of similar to mm-hmm. honeybees, or a lot of honeybees in North America. And they've, yeah, they've really, you have to actually be kind of careful with what types of worms you're working with. And where you're putting the material um, in certain parts of the country, because there's been really big problems of invasive um, earthworms, and they're they're really impacting huh. uh, forest ecology. Actually, Cause, you know, a lot of forests um, maybe had a certain type of worm there, or maybe didn't have worms, and so part of the forest ecology is that all of these like leaves fall on the ground and take a long time to rot. But if you add a bunch of worms mm-hmm. to that system, they end up eating all the all the leaves, which um, it just changes the soil makeup and, and is, is kind of a big problem. Yeah. And I guess sort of the mulch or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Okay. And so when you, when you do worm composting and you have a worm bin, mm-hmm. you're basically breeding worms at the same time, right? Like, do you end up with more worms than you started and you therefore can like go and start your new worm bin because you have like twice as many worms or yeah, like, or do you don't have to like keep going by and buying worms at the worm store, the wormery. <laughs> yeah. Ideally you would not have to make too many trips to the wormery kind of like a one and done scenario would be okay. ideal, but um, yeah, they'll okay, double cool. in population every three to six months under ideal conditions. They, yeah, it was interesting. Like you can get worms as like bait worms where you buy them like 12 in a little cup, but those often aren't actually mm-hmm. composting worms. And the way that you generally buy composting worms is by the pound. And so when we started our system at the food bank, I bought 25 pounds of worms, um, which was about 25,000 worms. <laughs> yeah. And the way you kind of calculate how many worms you need is actually based on the surface area of how big your system is. So every square foot, you can do a pound okay. of worms. Because they only hang out in the top three inches. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So if you have like a okay. super deep system, like they're just not going to go that deep. But okay. yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, yeah, worms are fun. And and again, they, they're creating like super high quality material. Um, part of that is because when they, mm-hmm. you know, part of what's good about compost and um, worm castings is like they will, uh, they add a lot of like microbes and bacteria to your soil and kind of help build up your like soil mm-hmm. food web. And there's a lot of like microbes and bacteria that actually breed and reproduce like within the digestive tract of a worm. Um, and so they'll like, huh. they're basically eating microbes and bacteria and then shitting out like way more microbes and bacteria. And that's like kind of the thing that mm-hmm. you want in your garden. So yeah, worms are fun. They're cool. And they, yeah, they'll, okay. any worm can like mate with any other worm. And then they, they lay like an egg that has like two to four baby worms in it and then they hatch. 
Okay, because they're not individually sexed or something like that. Yeah, they just, everybody's got all the gender. Describe the can... gender and sex of. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so the left hand of darkness is the worm's existence. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, can you use other creepy crawlies? Like if you want to have your like goth garden where you only grow black eggplant and black tomatoes and, and black roses and stuff, can you get like night crawlers or like centipedes or something? Um, you can do, you can do night crawlers. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, same with worms, but uh, you can also do uh people will do black soldier fly larva to break down food. And it's like, they just look like little weird grubs and you can use those mm -hmm. not to, I guess that's not really composting at all. I mean, it's, it's getting rid of like a waste material and like feeding it to like little, little bugs. Um, but then you would just use those to like feed your chickens or something. So not really compost, but a way to. Okay. So there's more steps involved. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of worm casings and poop, the, the, the not the final question, but the final like category would be talking about human casings mm -hmm. um, as part of composting. Like, uh, I know that this, uh, you know, one of the reasons I want to save it for last is almost like the escalating level of like perceived grossness, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I think people are like, oh, food rots. I understand that. Vegetables and rot. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, yeah, but what if there's a bunch of worms? And people are like, it's a little bit weird. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, okay, but what if you do it with human shit? Yeah. And then that's where people say that they don't want to come over anymore <laughs> and that they don't want to eat your vegetables. Yep. Uh, but it's actually completely fine. Well, it, it just takes additional safety precautions. Um, I'm asking this as like, it's funny because I'm like, I try to self-insert as the person who doesn't know anything about this, but I've like also lived on in places with humanoid systems uh, for a number of years. But I'm curious your experience or like how you sell people on humanoid or I don't know. Can you give an introduction to human casings? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So you, a lot of like what to compost and what not to compost, it'll be like definitely not human like poop or pee. And yeah, that's just mm -hmm. totally not true. You can, you know, we're an animal like any other creating manure um, and you can definitely use it. The, yeah, there's a lot of different systems. I mean, there's commercial composting toilets that you can buy for your home that are like in the thousands of dollars, but you can also make like DIY systems for like under $50. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've seen a couple different systems have helped set some up um, at the garden that I work at. We have like a fully permitted humanure system that I built and yeah, I've helped set up some different ones on like a land project, but yeah, you can definitely do it. The, the differences are you just want to be really certain that you're hitting high temperatures. Um, Cause that's, what's really going to address like kind of the pathogen problem. But if you're, if you're mm -hmm. getting like a big hot pile of compost and you're putting like human waste in it, like it's, it's going to break it down and it's going to be safe to use. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, yeah, I think the big questions are like, at what scale are you trying to do it? And do you care if it's like permanent or not? Mm -hmm. In some states, you can legally compost human waste at your home and some places you can't. It's also interesting, mm -hmm. the like, a lot of sewage treatment plants end up composting like their final product and they refer to it as biosolids. Mm. And so actually, a lot of cities are composting human waste um they're just doing it after it's gone through like that's a, good yeah it's like it's after it's gone through like a really like chemical heavy process to like really ensure that there's nothing like bad in it but yeah biosolids yeah. is kind of like the the like industry term that that they've adopted to not say like human shit um which you know is a little <laughs> more off-putting but um ultimately yeah yeah 
I mean, it's interesting to me, right? Because like, I think that this to me is an example of where sometimes people, I read a book by a purported environmentalist once that was like, we're animals. We should just poop on the ground. It was this big name author that whatever it was Derek Jensen. I fucking hate him. I don't care about name dropping. <laughs> oh, <him> yeah. <laughs> yes. Fucking transfer piece of shit. Yeah, uh, but anyway, um, you know, he wrote this book called what we leave behind that. I just like, even back, this is like back when I like, before I learned, I'm not a particular fan of this particular author, but I was when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things it talks about is basically being like, I just go poop on the ground because that's we're animals and it's fine. And I'm like, I also believe that the idea of like taking our, our nutrients or whatever and flushing them into the ocean is a bad idea, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I also believe that we developed that system for a reason, which was that before we used to just poop in the streets and everyone would get sick and die. Yes. Um, and so, so something like this is actually really interesting to me because it seems to be this, uh, you know, both sides are just full of shit. I didn't hey, even mean for that pun. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And I don't know. So it's just like, it's particular interest. It's particularly interesting to me that it's like, okay, well, we actually can just do it right. We can actually, and it's not incredibly hard. You just actually have to do it. You just actually have to make sure that your compost pile sits for a really long time and, or gets up to the right temperature. If you're not going to be, you know, um, I don't know. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that rant. Uh, but Derek Jensen um, sucks. Conclusion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> don't just go poop on the ground next to your dog's shit. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. I uh, mean, I, um, yeah, I think it, it feels really absurd to poop in drinking water, especially in the desert. Um, a lot of like municipal sewage systems were not built to the scale that they're now operating at. A lot of them were like built to just totally mm-hmm. overflow into like whatever local water source there is. So yeah, I think like not shitting in drinking water and like having smaller scale um, ways to address like human waste, I think is like a way better option. And um, you know, kind of similar to your other compost pile where you add like your greens and browns. Um, in this case, the poop mm-hmm. is actually a green. It's more of a nitrogen rich thing. It's not a brown, <laughs> um, ironically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can, I mean, I think the simplest system is like, it's called like a bucket to barrel system or a bucket to bin. Um, mm-hmm. And you would just have like a five gallon bucket with a toilet seat and like kind of a bin built around it. So it's comfortable to sit on. And then you just like mm-hmm. go to the bathroom in it and then uh, cover whatever you leave behind with uh, your dump, I guess, uh, with wood shavings or some kind mm-hmm. of carbon source. And then basically like when that's filled, you just transfer it out to your bin system or wherever you're you're kind of doing the, the secondary processing. And yeah, just like make sure that pile gets hot. The systems that I've helped install, um, and we're actually trying to get one installed at my house in Tucson right now, are either like barrel systems or um, like larger, I guess, bin or like a tote system. But you, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so there's the barrel, the bucket system, or um, you can also build toilets out of like 55 gallon barrels where you just like put, build a toilet seat for the top of it um, and then just like mm-hmm. use use that for your waste and you're adding um, sawdust and things and you just want to make sure that that system has like some ventilation as well as like an insect trap and it's that's like, what I was going to ask yeah, yeah if you're doing it 
Mm-hmm. Is that where you like, I've seen people do it where they like um, take a, I completely cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. No, go ahead. People take a, a tube and like drill holes in it and then stick it in the middle of the whole thing. So that way, like even as the compost builds up, there's always like a way for air to get in and, and throughout it all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, I don't know. That's I think sometimes people over-design these things too. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely true. I think, um, I mean, I think it's helpful to have like more airflow, especially in like a composting toilet mm-hmm. scenario. You also like, if you have like that 55 gallon barrel, like you do need to like turn it, which you do with a compost crank, which is kind of like a long stick with like a coil at the end. And you just kind of like, you uh, put that stick in and kind of like crank it down and pull up and just try to get like some, some like mixing in there and that'll help the material break down better. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then usually those are, those are kind of more of a batch system. So you would have a certain number of barrels depending on how many people you had using it and you would essentially use one. And once it's filled, you would cap it and then like wait Mm -hmm. four to six months and then empty it eventually. Um, And that four to six month time period, you'd want to make sure that you are turning it and making sure that it's getting up to temperature um, to kind of guarantee that any, Mm -hmm. any pathogens are dying in there. Yeah. And the the other system that I've built is like uh, more of like a larger tote system. So it was, built out of cinder blocks and it was like a two two section toilet and so it's a bigger space it's going to take longer to fill but it's by having kind of like multiple of the same thing then you have one that's like aging and resting and one that's actively being used the other factor to consider is urine diversion different people have different takes Mm -hmm. on it i think if you're doing a bigger system like with barrels or like the bigger bins it's helpful to to try to divert urine so having like oh interesting yeah it it kind of depends on where you are and how heavy of use it is but I, mm-hmm. a system that I helped work on was one that like often would have like a lot of people using it really quickly um, and so kind of keeping urine diverted was helpful because otherwise it would just get too moist and bulky and like in that sense in in those moments like it actually does get smelly and gross mm-hmm. often if you're maintaining yeah. it well it's actually not smelly or gross at all but. Yeah. If it's heavier use, it's helpful to like have a urinal or like there's um like urine diverters or funnels that like you can have like in the toilet seat that kind of helps like if people are like sitting and peeing, it'll kind of separate the liquids yeah. from the solids. Yeah. So there's there's different ways to do it, but I mean urine also can be composted, so Right. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people put it uh please don't listen to me as the expert gardener, anyone who's listening to this. Um, I'm under the impression it's about 10 to one water to, to urine and then like apply as uh, fertilizer directly once it's like watered down that heavily. Yeah. Um, is that something that you've heard of or? I've heard people do that. I feel like I, I've kind of tended to more just do like compost everything first and then use it. Um, yeah. Just cause yeah. I mean, I think for me too, it's just like not, it's not easy for me to like harvest my own urine. It's not a thing I feel super, um, like, I don't know. Yeah. I, but I have heard of people doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And it it just seems like, um, the process of, uh, combining the two 10 to one or whatever, it just involves like lots of, I don't know, stagnant urine is one of the worst, um, punk house smells that's ever been smelled. Yeah. And not something that I would try to, to sell someone on. Um, (laughs) but then the, is the reason as I've been researching hypothetical humanure systems, um, I, I've been 
interested to see the different ways that people take the different takes that people have on it. It seems like if you're not diverting it, you just you're ending up with a lot waterier, waterier buckets, right? Yep. And so you just have a lot more. You're saying it's bulkier, is that because you're just adding so much more sawdust or hay or whatever your carbon is in order to start absorbing all that? Yeah, I can. Yeah, you can. You can run through your carbon source a lot faster if you're trying to add that. Um, I think also like. Mm-hmm especially with bucket systems, like if you're peeing in the buckets, it's just like, mm-hmm. I've carried some buckets yeah. that were just like, I was like, this is disgusting. Like, this is just like, yeah, piss totally. and shit and like a little bit of sawdust. And I'm like, yeah. not happy about this. I've also like, yeah, yeah, you know, trained people to use a bucket system and like, don't ever pee in the bucket. And then the next morning I'm like sitting there and I'm like, oh God, I'm peeing. I'm letting everyone down. I'm such a hypocrite. Oh no. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like it, it happens. It's a shameful thing to yeah. do, I guess. But, um, but yeah, if you're, if you're, especially with a bucket system, if you have to like move it, I feel like if there's a lot of people using it, it's nice to maybe divert the urine just for like, it weighs less. It just is less smelly. But you can also just yeah. add a lot more um, carbon. So like when I've done systems that weren't going to have urine diversion, I've actually started whatever like receptacle or container with like a third full of whatever carbon material I'm going to be using just to really make sure mm-hmm. that there's like um, kind of like just a bunch of dry material that can soak up that excess liquid. And yeah. yeah, and I think it's, you know, I, I've worked with systems that are, I've gotten systems permitted and I've also been around systems that were not permitted. And a lot of like the permit stuff like will require urine diversion just mm-hmm. for like pathogens and smells and things like that. Yeah. So I think it's, it's just a thing to consider of how you're, how you're going to manage that, that added like moisture and like just yeah. dense material. So what do you, so in terms of carbon to add, I think that this is also another thing that holds people up, right? Is because, you know, there's like, oh, just add a lot of sawdust. And most people, I think, think to themselves, I don't have a lot of sawdust. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't produce much sawdust in my life. Even I, as someone who like makes her own furniture sometimes and shit, (laughs) I don't produce that much sawdust compared to like what is necessary, right? And, you know, um, some of the places I've lived before will make deals with sawmills where they just basically show up with a truck and are like, hey, can I have your sawdust? (laughs) And the place is like, yeah, whatever, just get rid of the sawdust for me. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But it seems like everyone has different tactics on getting carbon material. And it's like, it seems like it's the it's the one that a lot of people aren't producing themselves and have to therefore go and get. Um, and that was actually why I was so excited about like cardboard and paper as, as possible carbon sources. I know that for myself, um, I fortunately live somewhere where there's a lot of land and I can just like run a push mower with a bag on the back and fill up the bag. And then this is literally my hypothesis. It's green when it first gets cut, but later it's brown. And it seems like it, when it's dried out, it's more of a carbon for compost. Yep. Um, okay, so so how how would you recommend, one, am I doing it right, and two, that other people go and find a carbon source? Yeah, I mean, I think the sawmill thing is a great thing to do. That's what we're doing, um, like, with the mm-hmm. garden and other projects. Like, we just have agreements with sawmills and, like, cabinetry mm-hmm. places. And the only thing we have to keep an eye out for is if they're working with walnut, that's a wood that has a lot of, like, antibiotic antibacterial properties and and will like kind of halt the the process and so you don't want to be adding mm-hmm. uh walnut and i think there's maybe a few other types of wood that that you would like want cedar maybe potentially i'm not yeah i'm not totally sure but 
Yeah, I think dried grass clippings would work great as a cover material. The other thing that we will sometimes do out here in the desert is like sweep under like mesquite trees because there's just these really fine little leaves that when they're dried out work really well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the other thing is just getting if if it's like just a system for yourself and you're not having to source that much, you can also just buy like wood shavings at like a pet store, which is annoying. It's like annoying to have to buy okay. buy something that you have to put into your system. But um, I think it's better than mm-hmm. shitting in water personally. But yeah, you know, it's kind of a, well, especially in Tucson or something. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but it's you know I think it's up to what you have on site. I don't know that shredded paper would be because part of what you want to do is you want to kind of cover your poop so that it's like not smelly and not like easily accessible to flies and different Mm -hmm. um, insects. And so Uh, I'm thinking uh of like, if you just did like shredded paper, I think it would just be kind of like some fluff on top, but still like a lot of access for like smells to pop up and for like insects to get in. So that might not work okay. super well unless it's like that really finely shredded paper, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be really fun for whoever's job it is, is to, um, to steal your shredded paper in order to like re put together your files and try and prove that you did this or that, you know, Yeah. if they had to like literally go into the compost bin. Um, yeah, it might so. be a good way. Yeah. Well, so, some good security culture, maybe to compost your, your paper. And like that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Totally. I support that. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's, that's the majority of my questions. I was wondering if you had any uh, final words about why this is like great and matters and is so interesting. You know, you've, you've talked about like, for example, like, like shitting in drinking water is like not the coolest thing that's ever happened. Um, but, but yeah, do you have like, or any other final thoughts or things that I should have asked you that I didn't or? Um, I can't think of anything right now, but yeah, I mean, I think composting is just like, it's a way to just like address waste problems on site. It's like small scale. It's a way to build up soil and not use fertilizers and inputs. So I think it's just a really good thing to do if you're able and it's fun. I think it's fun. Yeah. I think it'd be a cool way to like, you know, one of the questions I get asked a lot is like how people can, can meet their neighbors. And I mean, obviously sometimes that's a very complicated question. You know, if you're like, I'm not in a, um, I'm not in a blue state, Mm -hmm. let's say. And, you know, like, like there's a lot of like complications and safety questions about like, you know, just telling everyone to like run out and become friends with everyone who's physically around them. Mm -hmm. But it still seems like kind of an interesting thing that if, because it, it's like me setting up a compost bin. I could easily also be composting uh, the five neighbors, the five closest houses. And it wouldn't, all it would do is give me more fertilizer. It wouldn't actually add that much more work for me. Right. Because it's like one of those systems that it's like cooking dinner, like cooking dinner for five people is about as much work as cooking dinner for one person. And it's just Mm -hmm. so much more rewarding. And so I'm just like kind of interested in these, these sorts of things. The other thing I want to, this is not what I'm going to pick your brain about specifically, but I also want to see more people set up like actual recycling, yeah. you know, like, cause I feel like that's kind of what composting is on a neighborhood level is like being like, okay, the, the infrastructure that we were promised is not working. How can we actually do this? And so it's like, what would be involved in actually, you know, um, taking plastics and turning them into uh, 3d printable filament or diesel fuel or there's all kinds of weird shit you can turn plastic into or plastic you can make fucking legos out of them you know mm-hmm. i know now this is just 
I'm just dreaming of the day that eventually I have enough infrastructure to go around and get all the punk houses bottles and then put them on a conveyor belt and have them pulverized into sand and use that in concrete. Yeah, Um, Because that's the only thing I, only recycling I've come up with. Okay, this is completely tangential. (laughs) All right, well. (laughs) Sounds like you gotta use up Uh, all your ash first, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point, yeah. Well, I won't make as much of it once I shred the cardboard. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, no, I I think composting is a great thing. I think it is like, yeah, I think what you're saying about, you know, market-based recycling has like very clearly failed and yeah, breaking down like organic matter at local levels is like a really good solution to dealing with less waste and, and yeah, just building back up soils because our, our like, you know, agriculture and food production has become like such an extractive industry. Like we're just like pulling stuff Mm -hmm. out of the earth and like putting fertilizer and all these chemical inputs and then even like the final product of that like our waste like then also just doesn't get treated as like a resource and so trying to like kind of fix that nutrient cycle and just have it be a lot more integrated um for like food production waste diversion um i think there's a lot of opportunities for it yeah yeah i think the community scale is like where it needs to happen at because i think the operating burning a bunch of diesel and operating a massive scale thing that's just full of trash is i i feel skeptical about about how those (laughs) systems are gonna are gonna function well but you know there is maybe a place for them yeah yeah and if you're listening and your name is joe we weren't trying to call you out specifically unless you are the one who keeps adding the nitrogen nitrous fluoride what was the free on to the compost all right well thank you so much for for coming and talking to me about all this stuff yeah thanks for having me thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode you should go compost or just throw rotten things into the woods don't do that one as much that one's not as good i mean um but go compost or find someone else to do the composting and then give them your organic matter Maybe don't show up at your friend's house with a five-gallon bucket of shit, uh, unless you're like that kind of friend, um, in which case, congratulations. Okay, so you can also tell people about the show, which is a really good thing that you can do. That is the main way that people hear about Like the World is Dying. You can tell people about it on the internet, and you can tell people by rating and reviewing and liking and subscribing and doing all those things on the feed the algorithms and tell people in person. And you can also support us by supporting our publisher. Our publisher is Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. And Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness is a collectively run publisher of anarchist culture, basically. At the moment, we have one other podcast, which is called Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. And we have every month a new feature that gets mailed out as a zine to our Patreon backers and made available on our website for free to anybody. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. And you can listen to that other podcast the same way that you listen to this podcast. And in particular, I would love to thank Sean and SJ, Paige, Oxalis, Mickey, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Kat, Jay, Starro, Jennifer, Eleanor, Natalie, Kirk, Micaiah, Sam, Chris, and Hoss the dog. Uh, thank you all so much for your support. Uh, it means a lot. It means a lot to, you know, there's a whole team of people who produce this um, podcast. There's uh, 
I actually didn't ask ahead of time about who wants to be named, but there's a whole bunch of people who work on it, including Bursts, who is our audio editor, who has a different podcast that you should check out that's also on the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts that's called The Final Straw Radio, and it's basically the best news, uh, anarchist news podcast that exists. No offense to the other ones. If you're listening, you run another one. I love yours too. But The Final Straw Radio is, is my go-to and has been my go-to for a very long time. And I don't have any closing words, so I guess I'm done. Take care. Hi, Margaret here, popping back in to say... We are looking, by we, I mean strangers in the Tangled Wilderness, we are looking for gaming groups, tabletop gaming groups, who would like to help us beta test a tabletop role-playing game that we're developing called Penumbra City, which is a secondary world fantasy tabletop role-playing game set in kind of a turn-of-the-century jazz and uh, radio and an evil god king who is sending people off to war against giant beasts and all of that kind of stuff, you know, the classic tropes like people who eat fungus and talk to rats and uh, anarchist paladins and uh, nihilist ex-marines who are trying to blow everything up and slumming lordlings who come down from the floating city and like basically flash their dad's name around to hang out with cool adventurers and everyone secretly begrudges. It is a class-based game, uh, not in the Marxist sense, but in the Dungeons and Dragons sense, in that there are different classes that are more important than any other decision that you make about your character. Um, And it's fun. I really like playing this game. Uh, I helped design it, and I've been playing it in some incarnation or whatever for fucking 10 years now or something, but it's finally getting ready to go out into the world, and we just need some help. We need you, not just you alone, unfortunately. We need you and your gaming group who want to run this game. It is a simplified rules system, but a lore-rich world. So uh, we would send you our rule set and a pre-written adventure. You would run that adventure with your gaming group. Uh, You could also come up with your own adventure. And then you would participate in a feedback session, which might include a survey or a conversation one-on-one with uh, game developers. So. Yeah, please, um, please reach out to us. How can they do that, Inman? You're secretly on the line. You should chime in. Well, Margaret, they can reach out to us by email at penumbra.city.playtest at gmail.com. Um, just uh, shoot us an email and um, tell us about your gaming group a little bit, and we will send you some information and see if it's uh, works out for uh, you to help us play test. Thank you so much.